Gordon. It's time to focus here, for heaven's sake. Focus. Been fluffing around all morning. Although you did have a couple of good stories, as usual. I did. Yeah. Light mode. Mm. Here we are, Under the Bar Podcast. Tom Hewitt is my name. With me, as always, is Rawdon Dubois. Mm. With us, as always, is Cam the Wookie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, a very big and exciting episode today, Rawdon. This is a cracker. We have Stefan Kazult from the Kilo Strength Society back on the program. Mm-hmm. And he's coming out to Australia. And let's let's actually do this off the top. Because mm. I, I dare say there's a, a fair percentage of our listeners that just fast forward through the opening gamut yep. and go straight to the meat and nuts mm-hmm. of it. And I certainly don't blame them for doing so. No. But he's coming out to Australia for a seminar series. And in the interview we did, we gave some dates. Those dates have been updated and amended due to holiday issues and various things. Yes. So, Stefan is coming out to Sydney, Australia to do his advanced strategies to program design level one on Saturday and Sunday, February 8 and 9 of 2020. So, 2020, February 8 and 9, that weekend, Saturday, Sunday, he is here for this course. Uh, It's from 9am to 5pm both days. And basically, Rawdon, in this episode... We unpack some of the topics that he'll be covering in this course. If you go to kilostrengthsociety.com mm-hmm. and go to his trainer education tab and then go to the seminars and then click on the uh, advanced strategies to program design tab, you'll get a, a nice breakdown of exactly what's covered in this mm-hmm. course. Basically, our preparation for this interview, Rodden, was to just open that, have a look at it, and pick out a few things we didn't mm, cherry picked. Mm, cherry picked. Cherry picked. A couple of things. Things that, that we could actually talk uh, about. Yeah. Other stuff we didn't know. Yeah, and uh, and it was a really good interview. Mm. What I will say. What will I say? What I will say. And we've done this before, but when you think about program design, Rodden, mm-hmm. and you think about I'm thinking about it now, you think about the system. System of the down. That he uses. Okay, the workout structure. Primary exercises followed by your assistance exercises followed by remedial exercises. Remedial. All right. You base the primary exercises around his core eight, Mm -hmm. which uh, from memory, let's see if we can rattle these off. A back squat. That's in there. A front squat. Mm, Maybe. A deadlift. Definitely a deadlift. An incline press, bench press, overhead press, tricep dip, pull up. I think that's the eight. Was there a row? Or was just the pull up? Just the pull up, I think. Okay. If it if it's if front there's squat, a row in squat. there, then maybe the front squat goes out and the barbell row comes in. Yeah. I think it might have been the front squat one. Yeah. Anyway, probably. we go through it in the thing. But those are your primary those are your primary exercises that you mm. base those A series 
exercises around. Mm. Then you pick assistance exercises that support those primary lifts for each individual. Then you program your remedial exercises and progress those in accordance uh, over time. Yes. With the undulating accumulation and intensity system that he uses. And it's just a nice Mm. bread and butter way to put quality programming together for an ongoing period of time for all of your clients. Yeah, and I think quite a few of us already do something similar to that, but it's nice to uh, know that someone is as profound as Stefan with uh, the program design side of things. It's like, yeah, okay, that's where I was getting it from, from yeah. Stefan's stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, but it'll be uh, his, how he, everything's sort of progressing over time, even though you're undulating intensification, accumulation, it's still each intensification is... Uh, progression on the last intensification mm. each accumulation and i think we uh didn't i joke around and say oh yeah but give us like uh 10 years of oh i've done 10 years of periodization yes like, what the well give me 20 years of periodization i'll be dead in 20 years my folk but yeah it was uh pretty impressive that any any i guess you can have an insight into how he stefan works data upon data and mm. there's, there's piles wads of of information for years and years that he's been tracking so um it's really interesting to to have an insight into how he works too it's almost worth coming just to hear him talk about all the stuff let alone all the the juicy content and uh takeaway uh practical application you're gonna get from the seminars yeah i think there'll be a huge amount of practical application just listening to this interview there's a huge amount of practical application to go that he goes through And and i know you yourself have uh uh, I think with uh, Thibs's, you, you took quite a bit away from from. So there are sort of these seminars that come along that just really resonate well and just have a lot of. Uh, t- you take it then from the Monday, you can you can start using it. Yeah. Thing, integrating it in, not completely changing what you're doing, but mm. but reconfirming what you're doing. And and I think he has a ton of different spins on the the a series so that's where i think it gets a bit more creative and that's where all the fun stuff and i think you still program heavily like that yes like your a series of the your, your wave loading and your steps and all this schmancy stuff but uh to sort of get the the bread and butter for all, for all that uh, it, it's worth doing just to get the you know keeping the individual interested over mm. time i think is a, a big part something that i confess i I don't, uh, yeah. It's not uh, your wheelhouse these uh, days. Yeah, not so much these days, but mm. to a degree I have to. Um, but yeah, certainly for anyone that's not in a you know, 20, 30 week prep for jumping on stage, you do need to, anything that's long term. Keep it uh, fresh. Fresh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really cool. All right, well, let's go to Stefan now and uh, enjoy this uh, lovely discussion. Actually starts off with some interesting stuff on his professional baseball players he's working with, yeah. and then we get into the meat and nuts. All right, Rawdon. Well, here we are in the uh, Under the Bar Radio Studio, excited mm. about our next guest, Stefan Kazult from the Kilo Strength Society. Mm-hmm. Whenever I think about Kilo uh, over there in San Diego, I think about uh, Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Me you too. know, Stefan should have the brown slacks on uh-huh. and you know, the, the uh-huh. afro hair going on. <laughs> but we've, we've got him back on the line. G'day, Stefan. Thanks for your time, mate. Uh, you're welcome, man. I'm happy to be on this podcast again. Yeah, it's exciting. Now, you've got a world tour coming up, and you're going to be in uh, Sydney in January 2020. Then you're in London in May 2020, and then Hong Kong Honkers. in October. 
Um, and we're, what we're going to do today is go through some of the content that you're covering in your advanced strategies to program design course. Before we do that, when we're off the air, you were just saying you've got some uh, major league baseball players training at Kilo at the moment. What kind of stuff are you doing with them, mate? Yeah, so uh, I mean, the, their off-season training has just started. You know, like the season ended like two or three weeks, weeks ago. ago. So, yeah. so you know, now it's kind of like typical, like structural balance, reintroductory type training. Uh, the season in baseball is so long and such a grind that a lot of them they get they get a quite deconditioned towards the end. Mm. Uh, so like where we're starting with that, like very typical, like for those of you who've done PICP stuff, like classic structural balance training uh, with, you know, a lot of add-ons to uh, issues related to baseball, like uh, a lot of grip and forearm stuff and neck and, uh, you know, like... Uh, Shoulder. Rotator cup, yeah, all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's being involved there. But then we're going to evolve towards, you know, like more strength and power stuff as the off-season progresses. I mean, like their off-season is quite short because by uh, mid-February, they're already back into uh, spring training. Uh, so we're going to try to get the most, uh, as much as we can through those like two and a half months that we have. And like they're they're even dedicated, like they're gonna train through like Thanksgiving, they're gonna train through the Christmas holidays like pretty well. So I'm not really worried about that. Mm. Stefan, do you um nutritional guidance recommendations in this period or, or are these guys all pretty good with that side? Or does someone else take care of that? Uh no, I, I take care of it. Um with pro athletes, man, sometimes it's like it's one of these things where you you thought like all of them, their first year, it's their first year with me. So uh, it's one of these things where like I interview them, ask them a bunch of questions, and I'm seeing where they're at nutritionally. And I just try to improve upon that. I'm not, yeah. uh, I didn't want to use too drastic of an approach, especially not like in the first, uh, in, the, in the first month or so. So it's kind of like ba- basically just guidelines. Even with supplements, it's it's hard because like in Major League Baseball, especially, they're very very uh, adamant of using only uh, NSF for sports uh, recommended supplements. So that's kind of limiting. Not saying that there's no good NSF for sports supplements, but it's just limiting in what I'm used to use with uh, athletes. And again, because like uh, a few years back when I was training a ton of pros. They weren't, they didn't really care about it. But now, nowadays, it's just so, they're so much more hardcore about that. Supplements. So that's the, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, like they always, there's always chances of getting busted for uh, a compound that they're not allowed. Yeah. And if the supplement is not NSF for sports approved, then they're kind of screwed. Yeah. But so, so it's just kind of like a, escape mechanism if you want uh otherwise it's very very simplistic nutritional guidelines um they i will say for the most part they were pretty good already it's just some little fine-tuning so you have to uh limit the testosterone and anavir and all that type of stuff this time around uh they're all the little yeah, secret I, secret I, herbs I try not to go more than three grams per week so. <laughs> tell me um creatine still in there that that that's still okay they haven't uh, come down on that yeah that's fine 
Yeah, for sure. That's mm. probably the only thing. That and a bit of caffeine is probably, yeah, the only couple that would uh, actually could probably elaborate much more on that. The um, before we get into the, the the meat and nuts of the the program design course, tell me, I'm just curious with the 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 baseball and pro baseball. Is it um, a lot of lower body work? I mean, you know, it, it sort of comes across as being an upper body dominant, you know, the pitching and, and uh, batting and, and that type of stuff. Like, is there heavy emphasis on, on that power? I'm assuming it sort of all comes from the lower body as well, but is it like more of a bias to upper body than lower body compared to like NFL or and, and other sports? Or is it, um, or there would be more? I wouldn't say so. Like, I mean, the... Well, like you just mentioned, like a lot of that power from like throwing and hitting comes from the lower body. Uh, but I will say though that the the uh, emphasis on like the shoulder joint yeah. is maybe more than normal because it's just the velocity of the baseball. I mean, it's not a very heavy object, and the velocities and the torque they're creating, like to throw these balls like at 90 plus miles per hour, <clears throat> it's just so much torque on the shoulder joint. So you kind of have to uh, address that. You have to address uh, a lot of like uh, uh, muscle imbalances as far as like uh, the different heads of the biceps and mm-hmm. the forearm muscles. So there's just a little bit more details with uh, the some specific parts of upper body training, but mm-hmm. still. Uh, lower body is pretty, still pretty dominant for sure. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, it's I mean, a different world. It, I, I yeah, it. it's a very different sport, but they still have to sprint quickly between bases, and there's little yeah. bursts of athleticism that, that is required. Have you had to look into the specifics of the sport, Stefan, to um, get all these blokes on board and deliver a good quality outcome? I mean, a little bit. Like, I mean, I've I've trained uh, I've trained a lot of major league baseball players through my career, so yeah. like. Uh, even though I'm new with these guys right now, it's not like I'm new to that sport. But uh, the thing, I think we talked about it last time, but I'm very, I'm one of those guys who, when I train an athlete, I focus more on training the weakness of the athlete. Now, mm. that being said, you still have to look at what the sport is, but I'm not, at the end of the day, most team sports, uh, you need to uh, run as fast as you can, you need to jump as high as you can. Yeah. You need to throw as hard and as far as you can, and you need to do this while making sure that you're you're focusing on injury prevention. Because, like, what's interesting is I interviewed all of them. Like, I have four right now, and interviewed them all separately. And when I asked them their goal, all of them, without exception, the number one thing they said is they don't want to get injured this year because this is how they get paid. So mm-hmm. for them, yeah. and they're pros already, so they're already proficient in their sport. They're already yeah. good at their sport, but they want to make sure that they're going to be, and they're 25, 26 years old, so they, you know, they have another good 10 years that they want to play. Yeah. So this is by far the main thing, and at the same time, I'm still going to try. Like in the assessment I do with them, you know, I always try to look at weaknesses. Uh, you know, like is lower back endurance a weakness, or is yeah. lower back strength a weakness? Like the you know, do they have like eccentric strength deficit that's predominant and stuff like that? So it, I'm always focusing more on the athlete, you know, and at the end of the day, it tends to work well for me. Mm. That's fascinating. That's I guess years and years of in the trenches, so to speak there, you, you I guess you can identify, well, there's a, there's a deficit in strength between that and that, and that's going to lead to this over time. So I need to address that. Mm. It certainly is a, a, a skill set. You probably couldn't uh, read a book and, all right, 
Where's yes. the pro uh, baseball? Let's uh, let's give it a crack, Tommy. Yeah. Um, outside of obviously key fundamentals, uh, I love that, that yeah. in the trenches it's great. Uh, experience that you can't really get from a book. Mm-hmm. That is, a, and you know, there's a, a couple of cool things. It's like when I in the 2010, 2011, 2012, like I assessed a ton of baseball players. It was over like uh, about over 350 guys. Wow. And it's, it's, it's fun to see, like you do testing and then you find correlation and what happens during the season. Like for it, for example, I always test grip strength with baseball players. Hmm. And if you don't, if you're not able to create at least 140 pounds of pressure, grip strength wise, you will be more likely to have elbow pain during the season. It was like it was the correlation was kind of crazy. Wow. Why? Maybe because like they don't have enough form and grip strength on the bat on the ball, and then the elbow takes up some of some of the load and on and on. But I just it, me, I'm all about numbers, as you know, and it's all correlation. So if I evaluate you and I see that you're not reaching at least 140, well, I know that a part of my off season will be directed to grip training because mm. you don't want to hurt your elbow. So it's a couple of cool stuff like that that you you catch up over the years by just doing a ton of them, you know. And, and tell me, Stefan, have, have you bounced that off other coaches and they're like, oh, yeah, I've seen that too? Or, or some of, like what you're describing there is something that you, due to doing those 300, being exposed to the 350 athletes, managed to see firsthand? Uh, good question. I mean, I've talked, like we have locally, we have a strength coach who uh, is a strength coach of a university around here talked a lot with him you've seen the correlation between grip strength and and performance and injury prevention but that being said i don't i don't know if he has a number per se yeah. um, like i said this was just more me like analyzing my data because wow. he would keep the Stefan would keep the data he would he's been tracking the data for, <laughs> for years and years and years he's he could got... catch him he could catch him after work just just sifting through the books <laughs> on the floor yeah, all spread all over the floor going yeah okay exactly. numbers Really cool. There, there's a lot of stuff like you know, like if you look at you know, like Mel Sith and Berkoshansky and all those those old timers, they they have a lot of information, but it's always on more uh, not obscure sports, but more like Olympic style sports, like weightlifting and hammer yeah. throwing and shot put. So that's all cool, but there's not a lot of information like this with the more like uh, at least North North American sports. Mm. The North American sports are becoming so um, uh, data analytics, analytics driven from a, you know, managers of sporting teams will sit down and spend time analyzing, you know, if we shoot this percentage of three pointers, that means we'll get this and this and this. So we need to take this many shots to get this, blah, 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 blah. So they're always crunching numbers. Mm. Someone like Stefan, who's got the back end data for uh, the athletic performance and the strength and conditioning of the athletes mm. could become a very nice marriage of uh, data points. Very yeah. good. And of course, our listeners just need to listen to the Under the Bar podcast. They get all the juicy <laughs> stuff here. Now we know. Yeah. You don't have to even go to this course. It's 140 uh, grip strength. Beautiful. There we are. So let's get on to the course, shall yeah, we? Yeah, man. Let's get right. into it. So the way you've got the course structured, Stefan, it's a two-day uh, two camp. Extravaganza. Uh, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. both days. There are four primary headings you've got outlined there's programming the training session mm-hmm. short-term periodization long-term periodization and program design yep. and if people go to the uh, kilo 
website, they can find the outline. Underneath those four headings are a range of bullet points of things that will be covered in the day. Rawdon and I had a look at that, and we've cherry-picked a few mm. bullet points that we'd like to uh, unpack a little bit. Well, a few that we could actually talk to him about. Yeah. The rest was like, oh, I'm not sure what he means with that. We'll Better come to and do the, the course. course. Yeah, yeah, but we, we think we might be able to actually converse with these topics. So so let's start where we start. So programming the training session, what Rawdon and I would like to talk about in this mm-hmm. is exercise selection and exercise progression. Mm. So where where do we start with exercise selection and what is your criteria of, uh, of assessment and uh, assigning these kinds of exercises? And, and maybe demographic specific uh, as well here, Stefan, whether it's yeah. as crucial for the, for the beginners as it is for the more advanced? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question because the, the thing is the course is called Advanced Strategies to Program Design. So yeah. sometimes the problem is you get trainers that come to the course and I go through the content and they're like, okay, but what about Mrs. Jones who only comes <laughs> once or twice a week? I'm like, that's cool, but that's not the purpose of the course. course right? It's yeah. advanced strategy. So uh, obviously, um, we're not necessarily talking about like uh, prehab, rehab, uh, elderly people or injured people type of uh, programming. So to that effect, I don't really go uh, – into these points in terms of exercise selection. So I, th- this course to me, what I did is I wanted to create a course where I took some of the concepts I did with the athletes and I wanted to translate it to the gen pup, but my definition of gen pup, which I'm a gen pup, you know, yeah, like yeah. To, to, to me, gen pup, it's, a guy or a girl who loves lifting, who lifts year-round as their activity, and you want, wants to get better, and while they're getting better, they're not getting injured. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, if you really have trained athletes and you see the nervous system and the efficiency of an athlete, you would never think you as a trainer are necessarily the athletic population. Because my thing, that, my thing to me is, if... If the broken 75-year-old who can walk is gen pop and the NFL football players are athletic population, then what are we? Like, where do we fit, Mm -hmm. right? So anyway, so to me, this course is more dedicated to that definition of gen pop. Beautiful. Where you just want to train to train and keep being healthy as you're progressing. Mm. I, I, this is not by any means a course for a symptomatic population who have like chronic issues or pain or injuries or, or morbidly obese and on and on and on. Okay, mm. so I just want to be clear with that. That's good. Um, so, so basically, the when I go through the programming, the upper body and lower body session, uh, I'm just laying out the basic structure of how I look at training. For like the 85% of the population that falls into that category. So uh, if you're asking me how do I deal with, uh, let's say, bodybuilding, it won't be that structure necessarily. It's more a structure where you want to train to train all the time, get stronger, get bigger while staying healthy. So basically I, I, I go through 
how I lay out my upper body sessions, my lower body sessions, because I tend to use upper lower splits. Yep. Uh, and then I like to separate the uh, sessions between the primary exercises, uh, which I do in the A series. Then you have assistance exercises, so exercises of, of a lesser degree of difficulty than the primary, but that will help assist the performance of the primaries. And then finally, the C series will be your remedial exercise, which which tend to be more single joint, which are there as kind of like prehab, rehab, or kind of addressing weak spots that the bigger lift won't necessarily target um so i you know like so my primary exercise i like to stick around like the squat the front squat the deadlift mm -hmm. and the four presses the overhead the incline to press the dip and the chin up since the chin up is is probably the most compound pulling exercise you can do uh, for the upper body so these are kind of like the core of my a series and then the b series will be predominantly like uh, dumbbell dumbbell work as far as pressing uh, or close grip work or a specialty bar work uh, and then all the rowing variations i tend to be very rowing heavy mm -hmm. for my b2 exercise since i'm predominantly doing chins in the a series and then i go through so so these to me they're not really progressions you know what i mean it's not like what's a progression of a seated row there there's none it's more variation of mm of position than it is a progression now the progressions to me they come into play more with the remedial exercises so like if you're if you want to address the the shoulder joint uh, for shoulder integrity and the right. scapula and all that stuff this i will have more progression like for example i'm not going to do a muscle snatch as my rotator cuff exercise phase one and then have a low pulley uh, elbow support yeah. and external rotation in phase five it doesn't make any sense on a progression standpoint mm. so this is kind of like the stuff i covered in, in that section as well as covering uh, exercise that makes sense for the phases in which you're in and the bigger picture of the macro cycle so you know just a, an example if we're talking about calves so uh let's say you're training the calves on a lower body day and we're doing an accumulation phase so accumulation lower intensity more volume so yep. between the soleus and the gastroc which one is the most slow twitch well the soleus is way more slow twitch so then if you're trying to guess which calf exercise would kind of fit that phase, well, why not, why not do a seated calf raise, which targets yeah. the soleus and accumulation when it's more of a volume phase anyways, and it just makes more sense. And then you keep the gas truck, which is more fast, which would requires lower reps and higher intensities in an intensification phase because it kind of fits yeah. that phase. Mm. So, so you, you kind of you have to look at progressions, but then you also have to look at the nature and goal of the phase uh, when it comes to the exercise selection, tell yeah. me, Stefan, with th with that in mind and the 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 different, I guess, phases. And for our listeners, it's the that uh, undulating periodization model with the intensification accumulation going uh, end to end. Do you with the A series? Do they take on that that flavor of uh, exercises that are more conducive to volume, i.e., a leg press for quad work, or the A series across the board would always be the bread and butter? those uh, front squat, back squat, you know, variations? Or does the, the accumulation, you know, filter through to the, the A-series as well? Uh, yeah, but 
Yes, but I tend like to me the A series tends to be like compound movements. Mm. Again, I, I'm just talking more for strength training periodization. Mm. Uh, you know, like if I'm doing giant sets or whatever, like obviously that's not uh, it's a different question. But uh, but to, to get back to your point, because uh, I didn't really talk about it, I I do use undulating periodization, uh, which which was kind of like promoted or I don't want to say invented, but it was promoted by Dietmarsch Midbleaker from Germany, which then Charles kind of like really, really like promoted here in the, in the Western world. But mm. what's interesting about this, why I like the undulating concept is you're, you're stressing volume. You're starting to fit. You're starting to fatigue overreach. You're backing up volume. You're switching the, uh, the, the target to intensity there's less volume, more neural demands, and on and on. So I just like that switch. But mm. although you're undulating, on a bigger picture, it still has to progress intensity-wise. Um, so, so that being said, yes, I'll undulate the reps, the intensities of the A series exercises. Mm. But you have to understand that on average, over a long period of time, let's say four years of training. On average, the rep that I will use for the A series will be it's it's six. Six is the average rep, mm. so it's never, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm never I'm never gonna do 25 reps in my A series exercise. Yeah, it's just not appropriate. Yep, yep. But yep, now yep, yep. the leg press, which I tend to use as the C series, even though it's not a single joint, just because of the nature of the exercise, man. Like this in an accumulation phase, the leg press is one of my favorite quad exercise. I'll blast reps like crazy. Like this summer, like people like in course were like, "Man, what the hell happened to your legs?" Well, fuck for like for for like a, an entire twelve week cycle. Mm. My C series was leg press, and like the the one of the last phase, I was up to five sets of eighty reps in my C series. <laughs> after after doing like squats and freaking uh, split squats, and I finish up with five sets of eighty. <laughs> So I love high reps for leg press. I think it works really, really well, but I'll use it at the end of the workout more like a finisher. Mm. And, and make notes, Tom, that's a gen pop workout. <laughs> yeah. Okay, eight, yeah. five yeah. sets, 80 reps. There Great. We go. Okay, <clears throat> so that's really nice. So for that large bracket of the, the training world, Rawdon, primarily people who listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. we look at those prime eight exercises. So uh, back squat, front squat, deadlift, yeah. Bench press, incline press, military press, overhead press, yeah, and pull up. Pull up. I think that was the was that eight. I think that was the eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we so those are your A series, A series to, to choose from. Then we have our accessory exercises, B series exercises that will support improvements. Dumbbells in, those. in there, Tommy. Yeah, get the dumbbells in there, and then remedial exercise, which I'm assuming would be individual specific, depending mm-hmm. on where your strengths and weaknesses are, to round out a really nice complete workout. And I dare say that's where you could bring up those uh, weaknesses. Uh, sort of a little bit more of uh, some good oil at the end there with the uh, and and uh, Stefan pointed out the uh, progression between meso soup to meso soup yes. is actually in that uh, that's a technical term you might not understand that Stefan it's a down under thing when you come uh, you'll understand but uh, that's where a lot of the progression will be from program mm. to program outside of those those key undulating intensities accumulation intensification i love it yeah well i think that might actually lead us quite nicely into our next bullet point so mm-hmm. 
we go to the section on short-term periodization. So we're looking at a, a 12-week cycle here. Stefan, what we'd like to ask... 12-week cycle. What we'd like to ask about here is um, programming mesocycle intensities. So mm. this might start leading us into this picture of continued progression. Macro, big macro cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Is it, we're sort of on the right line there, Stefan? Yeah. Yeah. So this part is a little tricky because um, I like to use, okay, so like for people who are older, who's been around for a long time, whenever they start like um, gauging the reps for undulating periodization, they tend to only look at the reps and then they undulate their reps. So they might say something like, okay, phase one, so accumulation one, we'll do eight reps. Then phase two, intensification one, we'll do six reps. Then phase three, we'll do seven reps. Then we'll finish with five reps. And then they're like, see, we're undulating because we're going from eight to six to seven to five. But the problem is, yes, the reps are undulating, but the reality on a, neural, on a neuromuscular standpoint, it's... Basically, it's not even linear periodization. It's ba it's almost like old timers, 1930 standard periodization, where it's always the same thing. Mm. Like there, there's not enough fluctuation in intensity yep. to actually create any undulating effect. Because if you're going from eight to six, and then you're backing up to seven, I mean, it, it's only technically three percent drop in intensity. You're not really backing up anything. Mm -hmm. So what I teach is. Forget about the reps for a second and think about the intensity that the rep represents on a 1RM continuum. Mm -hmm. And because whenever I periodize, when I do periodization, it's based off of the primary exercise. And the primary exercise to me is those compound multi-joint movements. So the 1RM continuum are very relevant to compound multi-joint movement. For example, five reps, we know that it's 85%. That that's applicable to a multi-joint movement. Now, if, if you're asking me to do max reps with 85% on wrist curls, it won't be five. You might be able to do eight, 15 reps on wrist curls with 85%, which is why those are the limit of these 1RM continuum. But with the multi-joint, it works pretty well, mm. you know, plus or minus one or two reps. So I, I use the intensity simply as a gauge to have a better expression of what we're doing with our undulation. So now you'll know, because if I'm, if I'm telling you to use the intensities with the previous example, it would be 78, 83, 80, and 85. Yeah. That's nothing. Yeah. That's basically the yeah. same thing. Okay, so now I'm telling you, so you start at this intensity. Now we need to go up X amount of intensity and then back off X amount of intensity so that there's actual actually a deload on the central nervous system mm. and the joints, tendon, and ligaments as well, yeah. which the stronger and bigger you become, the more you need to back off uh, in order to not stress these joints too much. So, so, so I mean, this, so that's what I explain, kind of like. And there's a there's also a difference between short term and long term. So short term is so let's say you have a client that hires me for only three months. And he has a specific task. He only wants three months. So now I know that, well, let me, let me back up for a second. So in strength training circles, uh, like the Germans were like the, the first one to kind of explain. It was Rolf Pfizer. He explained that the range of intensities that are needed for strength and hypertrophy falls between 70 to 100% of 1RM. 
So those are the effective range of intensity. So uh, unless you're a beginner, if you're training, let's say at 50, 60% of one RM, it's not intense enough to elicit a great strength response. So knowing that, then I know that 70 percent which represents 12 reps and 100 percent represent one rep this is the target that i have to play with for my a series so now if i have short term i have a short amount of time to try to fill in as much as that 30 percent gap as i can on the flip side if i have a long-term periodization you hire me for a year now i have a year to fill up that 30 percent gap of intensity so this changes the rate at which you're going to jump intensity-wise from one phase to the other because you have more time or less time to cover that given intensity spread. Yeah, yeah. And we might chime in there. And uh, I remember last time we spoke, uh, Stefan, you also, you know, strength being the mother mother quality. We don't want to, you know, spend too far. It's like, okay, great. Well, I've got it. I'll do – let's do a, a f- accumulation, Tommy, 50 reps and then we'll go back to uh triples in the next intensification it's so far you're going to be detraining that that strength component and it's not going to complement when you go back to the low rep ranges so there is limitations with how much uh which i think you outlined then the 12 to 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 one really like you don't want to be too wayward with your uh rep get too Mm. enthusiastic with the undulating intensities there is that right stefan yeah and especially if your goal is to get stronger you know and the, the the other thing too is to get stronger especially if you want to get stronger on specific lifts i mean you cannot have like crazy drastic jumps in intensity because like if you're doing 50 reps of squat and then you're switching to three reps of squat not only is it like a ridiculously drastic difference in intensities but it's also going to affect the technique Mm. And because you're gonna, you're not gonna lift the same your 50 reps than you are on your three reps. Mm. And the problem with, unless you're a highly qualified lifter, let's say you're uh, Ilya Ilyin or like uh, the Klokov or somebody like yeah. that, like one of the reasons why a lot of people might suck on a squat, for example, is simply because they're poor technically at performing the squat. So I want you to train. Yeah. Not only that movement often, but within an intensity spread that allows you to repeat a similar pattern. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think you'll agree with with me on this one, uh, Rodin. Is I think too many people now are way too obsessed with variety, mm-hmm. and they want to vary things all the time. But if you're not good at a list, are are you ever going to become good at it? And it's one of these things, man, like a lot of students ask me all the time. It's like, but Steph, like, what what do you tell a client that says that the training becomes too boring? But I'm like, listen, wait a second. So you're you're gen pop, like half of your gen pop. They all love love triathlons, right? They all do triathlons. They're like weekend warriors and want to compete in a triathlon or, or the Boston Marathon or whatever it might be. Now, when they're training for that and they're all motivated and all happy, what it is they do in their training? They run. run. <laughs> they run five times a week for freaking eight months. <laughs> do they ever complain that it's boring? Yeah. But somehow, mm. doing squats every Tuesday, that's boring? <laughs> I don't really, I don't fucking get it. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it. you have to accept if you want to get stronger that training is training. You got to repeat stuff. 
Yeah. Now, once once you're highly qualified, yeah, go for variety because you can't handle it. Because when you get back to that lift, you'll be good at it again. Yeah. But not mm. while you're training. Well, not while you're learning it. Well, yeah. I mean, if if you think about what we've been through just now, Rawdon, like you've got you, you've got eight primary exercises you can rotate through. There's probably anywhere from twenty to forty accessory exercises that might mm. support those. Mm. Then a variety of different remedials, mm. plus undulating intensities between one to to twelve rep range, and there's that's a just million different, lifts, yep. you know, rep patterns, rep schemes you can put together to to work those primary exercises. There's you don't need any more variety than that. Like that's yeah, a lifetime's and, worth and, of uh, of quality variety. And and the other thing that amuses me is, um, you know, we're the professionals. We're the we're the oh yeah, it's more, you need more variety. It's like <laughs> you just articulate it in a way that you just explained that. I'm gonna. Pinch that one, Stefan. Claim it's my own. Oh, runners, you know what do they do? Run all the time, so you can train. But yeah. you know, I mean, it's our role to point out when you know variety is questioned. It's like, well, what do you want variety for? And then just sort of unpa- uh, unpack that as to know that's just so you know it's satisfying for one minute detail of 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 what you're doing, and the big picture is what they need to be aware of. So, mm. I think we need to take it upon ourselves to break it down for them and explain why, why more variety isn't necessarily going to achieve their goal any sooner. Absolutely. So to round this one out, Steph, over a 12-week cycle and, and you're looking at programming the mesocycle intensities, your, your goal is to cover that 30% spread within that 12-week block. Yeah, as much of it. So like a, a entry-level training, like a beginner, which to me a beginner is like zero to one year of training age. Yep. I'm, I might only cover like, 18 20 percent of that spread yep and that as you get more advanced like advanced to me it's like four plus years then we might be able to cover like like almost at 30 percent range because the advance is better equipped to have crazier jump of intensities from face to face because they know they're loading uh, much better yeah mm. yep. okay yeah and those movement patterns Great. exactly Cool. All right. Well, let's go into the long-term periodization yep, then. Yep, yep. Um, and I guess a good place to start is where you start here, Stefan, is actually defining the various cycles that go into a long-term periodization scheme. And I suppose this is goal-driven to a certain extent. You know, what's the person's training age and what are they actually trying to achieve? So do you look at those parameters before defining the various cycles that will make up, you know, a year, four years worth of training? Yes. Let, let me start by a little quick little story, if mm. you don't mind. So the the problem the problem I have sometimes when you ask clients their goals is especially when it's long term. I'll give you a perfect example. I started training this woman uh, like years ago. Uh, I started in twenty fourteen. I'm still training her online. And she was one of those persons. She was like, I just want to be jacked. I just want to be strong and jacked. And she, you know, she was uh, 143 pounds. She was 16% body fat. She ate clean all the time. So she, she was just, she just wants to get strong, right? So I'm like, perfect. So I write her programs. I plan a, a ahead of time with just the goal of getting her stronger on the main key lifts. And she never misses a workout. She never complains. She never says, oh, now the summer is coming. Can we do a fat loss phase, blah, blah, She just let me do her thing, my thing, and she did the workouts. Now, f- fast forward 18 months later, 
that girl who used to deadlift only 205 pounds, now she's deadlifting 415 pounds. <laughs> and her body weight went from 142 to 136. Her body fat went from 16 to 12. Now, did we ever do a strength phase per se? No. Did we ever do a hypertrophy phase? No. Did we ever do a fat loss phase? No. What we did is properly planned training over the long run, which led to huge success. Mm. Not many girls at a body weight of 136 can pull three times their body weight, right? Mm. Mm. Now, on the flip side, I'm training this other coach who hired me long term, but he hired me more to learn he hired me as a coach but it was more to learn how i would coach. train different things right yep so he went on and it was like uh, he wanted to do a strength phase we do 12 week strength phase then it was okay now i'd like to see how you plan for fat loss so we do a 12 block of fat loss and then he's like, oh, shit, like now I have MMA fighters coming in. Can we do a 12-week on power so I can see how you program for power and then for hypertrophy and on and on. But then after a year, I'm like, okay, I'm glad you're, you're learning all these things. But the problem is for you, what's happening is you didn't gain any muscle. You didn't lose any fat. You didn't gain any strength in the last year. And the thing is, you've been training, you've been doing all the programs, but because the programming were reactive to your goals of the time, the long-term periodization didn't make any sense. Like, for example, if you do, a, you do strength, you build up strength, you move on to a 12-week fat loss phase. During the 12-week fat loss phase, yes, you lose fat, but you lose strength. Yes. And then you we asked me to, to switch to a power phase. Well, how, how am I going to have you do effective power phase when you just lose strength yeah. from mm. the previous phase. So like, mm. it's like we're just going nowhere with the training. So to me, I, I kind of like, I prefer having a clean slate with people and plan long-term for success. Cause to me, the way I look at strength training, if you're the kind of person who's, who's going to strength train four times a week forever type of deal. Well, I, I just want you to get stronger because at the end of the day, what does strength training do? Builds muscle, builds mm. strength. Okay, so I don't, I don't like to be too pigeonhole in certain things. Now, again, you know, I've trained actors, I've trained people like with specific goals. Fine, we go for it. But to me, it's more of a sh short-term approach. Now, so so that being said, I, I I always focus on strength as the main thing. I create undulating periodization and variations of volume of intensities on, on a macro perspective. But then what's going to happen is this other guy that I trained, his like training age was 20 years, strong. like He's just a beast of a guy. And he, he kept progressing on simple strength periodization for three and a half years before all of a sudden after three and a half years he hit his first plateau where his strength actually De uh, decreased so at that point I'm like you know what now let's move on to a hypertrophy specific block so the next 12 weeks we did hypertrophy so it like it felt good for him it was a change of pace deloaded the central nervous system and then guess what when we got back to strength like he blew all of his previous records but I waited for it to be needed for me to interject that training 
instead of just put it in, putting in there randomly because mm. the guy asked for it for a reason X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? Mm, so that's yeah. kind of like when, when I have a client who's kind of like a robot client, that's how I proceed. Otherwise, obviously, uh, I'll follow you, your, your demands, especially short term, like I said. But um, And that's uh, I love that simplicity of that, uh, Tommy. So is that generally like the girl that uh, basically just focused on strength? And do you typically find that there's a... I mean, much like the correlation with the elbow and the, the grip strength, have you found that across the board, if people are getting stronger, they're just getting more jacked? They're just getting, they, they're, they're typically always getting leaner, they're getting more muscle, they just look in the duration of however long it's been, they just look better and better and better. If they just forget all the minutiae about, ah, oh, I want to do this, want to do that, well, let's just get strongest AF and, uh, and then the rest just sort of tends to. F- most of the time, anyway, fall into place. Yeah, Body I would think wise. so. Like, like uh, assuming that their nutrition is always consistent, yeah. their mm. and their lifestyle is consistent. Yes, uh, I, I think that's that's exactly what it is. Mm. I mean, uh, yeah, but I mean, I I, I use the example. I don't remember if it was on your pod- podcast or not, but like one of the reasons why I loved studying like Eastern old Eastern block training philosophies is what was great about them is they would take an athlete from the age of 12 and then he would train at the whatever, let's say a weightlifting center at the age of 12 under the tutelage of like a group of professionals and PhDs and strength coaches. And then they're progressing through these years and then they're moving on and moving on and moving on. But by the time they're like 20, they're still training in the same facility with the same concepts, with the same global approach to coaching. So, but, so what they've done is they've done progressive overload and consistent training and they build beast. Now, what I'm always seeing uh, with athletes in North America is my football player in high school their strength coach was an old-time bodybuilder, so they're doing bodybuilding training. Then he goes to college. There are West Side followers. They're mm. doing powerlifting. Gets to the NFL. There are weightlifters. They're doing weightlifting. So there's no correlation whatsoever. Mm. Like the, those base, the baseball guys I have now, most of them, like three out of the four, had not done a back squat since high school. They're 25 years old. <laughs> so uh, so I'm like so what so, what? so we can't have like to backtrack because they haven't squatted something as basic as a squat right so it's so yeah whatever Fascinating. It is. Mm. So, I, I, so my point is yes I believe that constant progress leads to and, the and, highest and, and I guess sticking with the, the fundamentals over time mm. so in the scenario Steph where you do have the clean slate for you to just you know blank put, canvas put the wizard hat on and, and do your worst what does the spread of intensities over macro cycle program designs look like it averages the six reps over the, the span of time um, does it start broader and work its way to that point or is it coming in and out of it at various and, spots and what do they go down to as well um stefan i mean do you take it down to singles uh, or, or doubles or do you have a threshold that mm. uh, you, you might not breach yeah d- doubles is the highest and th- I'm, okay they, they might I, they might have a rep scheme that has a single in it 
Yep. But I'm I'm never gonna do a phase of ten by one, for example. That's mm. that's not gonna happen. So like technically the lowest rep I will program as a phase will be two, but I might do let's say a, a three three two two one one stage descending, for example. Yep. So like the the average intensity is ninety four, but we're we are hitting two two uh, singles. Mm. So. Yep. 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 Uh, but I mean so. Um, to answer your question, Tommy, it's, I mean, it's a little hard to, uh, yeah, that, was, like, a, that one, was a tricky question. One, one, like easy answer. But the thing is the way I, the way I look at it is I, I, I love undulating periodization so much that my way of planning long-term it's undulating over undulating over undulating. What I mean by that is most people look at periodization over undulating mesocycles, yep. but not only do I undulate mesocycles, I also undulate macrocycles. Yeah. And not only do I undulate macrocycles, I undulate years. Yes. So, the, so that, that's it's, why for me, ooh. if you're one of those guys who trains to train, I want to undulate years as well because the, the thing is, if, if yeah. you're doing proper undulating periodization, yeah. the highest possible intensity that you could prescribe for an entire year would be 89%. 89% average for the entire year would be the maximum ever. Mm. So if you're 20 years old and you start training right off the bat, year one, my average intensity for a year is 85, then fuck, where am I going? Like, yeah. by, like yeah. in four years from now, like you're tapped out. So, it's like fascinating. Um, so it's, it's almost less is more. It's, it's what you're describing, Stefan, is almost uh, fractal periodization. Yeah. True. <laughs> that's good yeah. that's good but I, I like i like what rodin said less is more because at the end of the day so let's say you're you're athlete x and you weigh 100 kilos and you have amount of muscle x okay so in order to grow stronger and or bigger well you need a stimulus to grow stronger or bigger so you get the stimulus and then you're like Physiologically speaking, there's like a limit to how much you're gonna grow from a, a stimulus, right? Yes. So now, if I if I train you with stimulus like X Y Z right from the get go, where stimulus yeah. X would have given you that pound of mu muscle more, mm. and I give you the most hardcore workout now, you're still only gonna gain one pound of muscle. Mm. So, but yeah. so then later on, what do you do? Because you've do? always done all the crazy stuff. Yeah, minimum effective and, dose. And I th and I think Stefan, it really um, gives validity to having a coach long term and and more of that blank canvas type prospect. Where yeah, look, we could get you strong straight away, but then you're gonna have nowhere to go in time. How about we work, and we will get you stronger over the long term. You know, like it's a uh, rather than. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of coaches do coach long term, but a lot of the the mentality of Gen Pop, and that is all of us. You know, oh, let's go work for like that guy was with you. Oh, let's just do twelve weeks, and let's we'll see how that goes. You can do it; that's fine, and we can mm. we can push the numbers up. But really, we want that big picture, long term vision where we could do like the layer upon layer. Uh, Stefan uh, mm. undulate. Well, see, I go one better than that, Stefan. I'm going to undulate decades. <laughs> Not only years, but de decades. You stay with, sign up for 30 years. And uh, <laughs> this first 10 years, it's going to be lower intensity, about 80% average. Then we'll hit 85 and 90 in the last uh, In the last decade. 10. There might be some PEDs in the background to keep up over the 30 years. But, 
you know. But it's it's funny because you're joking now, but actually I have a 16-year <laughs> periodization model. <laughs> you have not. <laughs> I, have you I serious? Do. 16. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess if you if you actually go to the trouble of designing a 16-year periodization model, it does give you the big, big picture yeah. perspective. And you can look at it as a pattern and, and see how this system of undulating intensities over time actually works. Mm. Then when you come down to writing a 12-week cycle, everything makes a lot more sense. Mm. Um, that's, uh, that's crazy. Each one of these sections, Steph, you've got a case study that will go with it. So um, the examples that you've given today sort of paint a really nice picture for, for us understanding. So I assume you've got some, you know, with all the, the numbers of people that you've trained, you've got some really good case studies to break down during the course as well? Yeah, so but the case studies, it's more like, so let's say we cover like a short-term periodization. Now I give like a... An example. A, a, a scenario and then... Depending on the class, the size of the class, it's either each individual writes the twelve-week plan on their own, yep. and nice. then we share it on the board together, or we do it like when it's a huge class, we tend to do it all together yeah. at the same time mm. on the board, and then we just. I use this mainly to make sure that the students understand, fully understands the concept of what I'm trying to teach. That's because, awesome. That sounds great. I mean, you, you know how it is sometimes, like you say, so you guys you guys all understand, right? And everybody's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. And then during the break, it's like, so I completely didn't follow. But, so I'm like, I just want to make sure they all yeah. get it. Yeah. We'll make sure. We're, if we, uh, we're going to be up the back there at uh, this course. Don't ask us to bloody come up the front and give our examples, okay? We're going to hide behind the uh, the water fountain. Yeah. Well, in the, uh, the, the final section, the program design section, which is probably what you're talking about now, the first point you've got there, and Rodan and I highlighted this one because we didn't actually know exactly what this means, but loading... Oh, speak for yourself. <laughs> oh, I know exactly what. 16 years. Loading pattern progressions. What's that concept? Yeah, so there's a bunch of rep schemes, and people look at rep schemes, but the problem is if you don't understand rep schemes and you use them at random, it's never going to work. Mm. So, you know, like, so you have, like, the most classic rep scheme, which are, are they're called standard sets. So that this would be your typical, like, Five by eight, for example. Yep. This is standard set. Yep. So I explain when you use it and how you load it. So there's two ways you can load standard sets. There's constant loading where you use, let's say, 100 kilos for eight. You keep 100 kilos for eight, for eight, for eight, for eight. And this you can't. You tend to use early with the client simply to kind of gauge their work capacity. Mm. Do they have a drop off? Can they tolerate it? Blah blah. Then once you're past that, then you move on to step loading which is 100 kilos for eight, 102.5 kilos for eight, 105 kilos for eight. And then, you know, you just step load slightly mm. and to the point where they fail. So let's say the ideally in a perfect world, once you know you're loading, if it's five sets of eight, that last set of eight should be a true eight RM where it takes you like seven seconds to complete the concentric and exaggerating. But, mm. you know, it should be like a fight. That's mm. when you know you, you nailed the loading. Now, if you move on to something like 87654, for example, so this is a descending rep schemes. So this should be the next progression because it's a souped up step loading, if you think about it. Mm. Then you have ascending rep schemes, four, five, six, seven, eight. Then you have broad pyramids, eight, six, four, four, six, eight. So a broad pyramid comes awesome. after because it's a combination of descending with ascending with a peak of intensity in the middle. Then you have my favorite, the stage system descending, like 775533, for example. So now these, 
they're way more complex because they're based off of the law of repeated effort. So now you're not step loading anything anymore. That seven rep should be your seven RM or close to it. Mm. The second seven rep should be that same weight. So now you're subjecting the brain to the exact same load for the exact same amount of reps. So now there's a learning effect, which is what they call the law of repeated effort. Then you go up 5%, then you do like 105 for five, 105 for five, 110 for three, 110 for three. Mm -hmm. So those are way more taxing because each set is basically a RM lift, unlike mm -hmm. the standard mm -hmm. sets, which should be the core of lifting, especially for the beginners and intermediate, because now you're using a range, which I tend to like to use a 10% range to step load. So it's only like the one set that's super hardcore. So it's more sustainable in a recovery perspective. And then you have the paler system, which is a triple exposure. So love repeated effort, push to the maximum. Then you have wave loading, you have clusters. And waves, you know, it's like, you know, when Charles wrote in the late 90s about the 1-6 principle. Yeah, potentiation, so, yep. Yeah, it's a PAP, but it's it's a wave. It's basically mm. a wave, but it's one yeah. of the most advanced wave because the 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 jump in intensities are the most extreme. They're like seventeen percent. Uh, but the thing is, you, if Charles is going to write an article about PAP, he's going to write about the most advanced methods. Not going to write yeah. about an entry level PAP because it's not cool for an article. But now, if you're an 18 year old, you've never done a, a, a regular wave a day of your life, and then you're like doing one six right off the bat, like it won't work, right? So it's mm -hmm. all layered. Yeah, you have to start with a classic wave like seven five three seven five three that's coaxing the brain toward a uh, potentiation effect. Then you have less abrupt contrast like five three five three five then f finally you can move on to one six one six one six and stuff like that mm. so it's all steps and it's about how to progress them when to use them because people like loves method they love oh, i want to yeah, do yeah, this yeah, it's 12 25 yeah. i want to do the patient let the head burn so they they program with methods in mind at yes. random but the problem with that is over a long period of time it, it's yeah. there's no progression because it's mm. too random. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Higgledy piggledy is uh, the term yeah. I, uh, I call that. Um, that this this is alone worth coming to the course, Tommy. Just I know. for those I, rep schemes. I, I was going to say you could actually just do the whole course on that. Yeah. I mean, there's every rep scheme he he's rattling off there. I'm thinking, oh yeah, yep, yeah, done that, oh, done that, uh -huh. done that. But they all within each rep scheme is what Stefan's alluding to. There is. Uh, intricacies of how to actually execute the workout effectively and with lots of experience you know i've burnt people out and, uh, yeah. and I've, you know i've gone too easy on people and uh -huh. uh, you know you work with individuals long enough and you've you know how to get it just just right so they, so they finish the workout at the appropriate place they finish the phase at the appropriate place but having some numbers to assign some method to the madness for all this yes. i think would be tremendous value but I think also the the common theme from when we started to now, Tom, it's 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 have that big picture vision. Like mm. if if you if you and I think that's and you probably agree, Stefan. I mean, you do a lot more uh, mentoring than what I've ever done. But the, they're looking for that that quick fit. Well, this is a good rep scheme. Let's do this for the next workout, and then yeah. we'll do this. And and it's like, why are you doing that there? And then what are you going to do there? And then why would you go back to that at the next miso soup? Mm. Like really, you ha it yeah. This is this is gold. Love it. Absolutely love it. So does the, the timing of training methods, is that sort of what we're working our way in towards here, Stefan? Yeah, so uh, there's a difference between loading patterns mm. and training methods. So a training method would be 
for example, like eccentric methods. Right. Uh, you know, you know, uh, you know uh, assist. Are we going to do assisted eccentrics? Are we going to do submaximal eccentrics? Are we going to use the eccentric hooks? Yes. Uh, are we going to do um, supramaximal eccentrics? So then it's uh, it's about the methods within that window and when you use it. Because the thing is, I I do undulating periodization in the sense of intensities, but the reality is I do block periodization. So you know I might have a a concentric dominant block, then a eccentric dominant phase, then yes. a isometric dominant phase. All the while, the intensities within these yeah. models, these blocks, mm. are undulating. Mm. But people have to differentiate. Undulating periodization is just a means of gauging the intensities. But the true yes. periodization, it's the timing of the methods. That's what makes the periodization effective. Yeah. Mm. So all the isometric methods, like talking about yielding, overcoming, and momentary, and, and accentuated isometrics, when you use them, why you use them. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I, I I love speed strength methods. So like why you use it, when you use them, and watch in which phase. And the thing you have to understand is, again, this course is more for a gen pop. So it's how I would use these methods in order to pick to peak a lift from week one. So let's say you started your overhead press was 100 kilos week one. By week 12. I want to measure that overhead press again and see where you're at. So it's how I use these methods to get to that point. It's not necessarily the same way I would use the methods for an athlete during an off-season because the athlete, at the end of the day, by the time they leave for training camp, I don't really give a shit about how much he peaked on a lift. It's about how I was able to transfer the strength to increased performance on the Mm. field, right? So the whole periodization per se will be different uh, in an athlete's perspective than the guy who trains year-round. Because like, if you're yeah. training year-round, there's no peak. There's no... Yeah. yeah. You, know? so you, you want to see that progression over time with those uh, those key lifts. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Because there, there's nothing that annoys me more than when you talk to a guy and he's like, oh, yeah, I've done a method XYZ and it really, really works. So I'm like, oh, shit, that's cool. How much did it work? And they don't know. They just, oh, I got stronger. But, but how much? Like, how do you know you got stronger? It's so random. And, and also, how do you know if you get stronger if your, your, your last squat number is a number you did on a squat with a 4-0-X-0 tempo, but you haven't done a 4-0-X-0 tempo in eight months? How do you yeah. know? Mm. Right? If you were doing, like... Uh, Freaking like narrow stance, heels elevated, squat with a cambered bar with a, the, a seven six one zero tempo. Yeah, you yeah. can't correlate that. You don't know. So yeah. to me, I just I hate not knowing where I'm going <laughs> with training. <laughs> and for our listeners, there was a this pained expression on uh, Stefan's face and the arms yeah. flailing in the air, very emotional yeah. there. I can't really uh, picture a circumstance where he doesn't actually know where he's going on training. I think he hates it that much. It's, it's <laughs> not, a, not a part of his existence anymore. Yeah. 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 That's great. Well, I mean, this, this course sounds awesome. So uh, how do people find out more about it, Steph? Uh, so they can go on our, uh, on our webpage, kilostrainsociety.com. We have a Facebook and a Instagram of the same name. Uh, and like all the information is there, like the, the out, it's it's pretty easy to register as well. It's all like uh, one or two clicks away. 
and the schedule, the, everything. Yeah, the, the, the yeah. website's uh, slick, man. It works yeah, really well. Good. It's it's, it's uh, very good. Much uh, better than mine, Tom. Yeah. Okay. So how many? I mean, you haven't picked a venue for it yet, Stefan. So are we just waiting to see what kind of numbers you get to to figure out where you'll have it and and what ideal <laughs> numbers for for the class from your perspective. So I mean, the the cool thing is uh, usually when I do this course here in uh, at Kilo. Uh, we have training. We have like like one training session per day. Mm. Uh, so when we do it here, our classes are limited to 24. Because 24 is the sweet spot for our space for the training to be yep. good. But now with the, the course I did in Montreal, and these three courses we're doing overseas, we basically ditch the training, which also means that I go deeper into the topics because now we have like Time. 90 minutes times two that we're not doing so i don't need to be in a gym we're not going to be in a gym so basically we're we're going to book a conference room like in a hotel or something like that so you know so that's why it's not really important it's going to be like in sydney yeah like it won't won't be like outside of sydney okay and we're just waiting in the sense that like if we like in montreal we're 70 people so if we're that many people i'll need a bigger room big room Okay, yeah, and, and 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 you you said that the the cool thing is about doing that training. I think Tom and I are quite happy, and we will uh, come to this course knowing that there's no training. There's no in training. Fact. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, we, we like this <laughs> yeah. one. It probably wouldn't be a bad idea for people to um, if they were interested in coming, to actually do the online program design course that you have before yeah. before getting there. Probably. A bit of foreplay before the main yeah. event. Yeah, so that like that usually works well with people because the. The, the section in the course where we're talking about programming the upper body and lower body session, yeah, it's kind of like a expanded version of the online course. So what's good is the online course, like it allows you to like jump into it, process it, and then when you come to the class, where it's kind of like a quick review of that, and then we go deeper into these topics. So I think people who typically do the online course before tend to. Uh, uh, register the information a little bit better, mm, but it, but it's not it's not a prerequisite. I didn't want to make it a prerequisite, uh, but you know. Yeah, it's on my to do list, and uh, it's pretty reasonably priced. I think quite yeah. a few colleagues have done it and raved about it. So um, it might be good to knock that one over before the mm. uh, next January. I think it is. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right, anything else you'd like to ask? Mate, that was, uh, well, I hope he's going to have the slacks on, Ron Burgundy style, when he does come <laughs> to Sydney, and maybe get the moustache out. He, the only thing that's a little different from last time we spoke, uh, Stefan, maybe a few, uh, uh, I can't, you know, my, my hair is uh, not far behind, but a few grey whiskers there in the beard, mate. Are you, you, you know, <laughs> a busy year there at uh, Kilo, huh? Yeah, well, the, the thing is, when you saw me, I didn't have the beard, so I could I was able to hide it <laughs> a little bit better. Yeah, I think it was just a bit of stubble there, yeah. yeah. I'm uh, but I'm a, but, no, but it's crazy, man. Like, I was, you know, 37 years old, no gray hair, 38, <laughs> bam. Dude, tell me about shot. it. Like, I've just noticed more on the sides, and we go, holy moly. Like, I, it's only so short I can have the hair but to get rid of the gray. But, mm. uh, well, I think you're salt and pepper, Tom. Very yeah, popular. I've got a fair, fair bit of uh, yeah. salt and the pepper. The ladies love it. At 38 as well. So, mm. anyway. A bit of GH might fix that, Tom. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Great. All right, Stefan. Well, mate, thank you so much for your time today. Really enjoyed that uh, that conversation. It just yeah. makes you scratch your head and just realize the more you know, the, the more you don't know. Yeah. You know? The more you know, the less you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you for your time, Stefan. Really Thanks, appreciate Stephen. it. Thank see, you, man. See, see you in Sydney. Day.
Well, Rawdon, so uh, so many takeaways mm. out of that one. Look, I, I think what he was talking about there, Rawdon, in terms of undulating, you know, undulating periodization based off percentages of one RM as opposed to just rep ranges. I think that's a very valid way of looking at things, particularly when he puts it in the context that really the maximum average intensity you can maintain for a year is eighty nine percent of your one RM. So if you if you're sailing so close to the breeze that you're hitting that 89 well you're not really leaving yourself too much room for progression mm. and if you go from phase to phase just varying a couple of reps here and there you're not really providing that that uh, difference yep. or exposing yourself to the different stimulus so looking at it from a, a trying to get yourself through that range of the 30 percent that he talks about i think is uh, a very good way to look at things and i think also not having i think the other extremity you're going huge discrepancies from yes you know, really high then really low that's also you're sort of missing the uh, you're missing the whole carrying on what the the qualities you've developed exactly yeah exactly yeah. lots of uh, yeah i mean do they have to do the seminar i mean that, that interview was pretty good <laughs> was like pretty good. You just get all <laughs> no that's it done <laughs> sign off on it we'll give you a piece of paper saying you're certified so uh, those dates again, just to update them, it is February the 8th and 9th of 2020, Saturday, Sunday. Go to uh, Kilo Strength Society to uh, register for that. And rest assured, there's no uh, training. Yes. So, so we, we might, we we might we actually might make actually, an appearance. Well, we're not going to pay. <laughs> Hopefully doing this, uh, this sort of uh, interview will get us a couple of free spots. Yeah. But we'll see. We are cheapskates. All right. That has been another episode of Under the Bar Podcast. So Water. to get you, mate, what do they do? Yeah, uh, TomHewitt.com.au. Uh-huh. And well, and to get me the Dubai method, don't uh, don't check my website out. There's nothing there. But Instagram and uh, Facey. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Liftoff.